In the name of him who is and who was and who is to come, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, my dear friends. The portion of Holy Scripture to which I direct your attention at this time for instruction and our encouragement is that which is recorded in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and then 33 through 38. And I invite you to follow along on page 5 in your worship folders. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth with dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the others, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. And the Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all things, and the heavenly host worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites and Hittites, of the Amorites and Perizzites, of the Jebusites and Girgashites, to give it to his descendants. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You are just in all that has befallen us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings and leaders and priests and fathers did not obey your law or listen to your commandments and warnings that you gave them. For even while they were in their kingdom, with the abundant goodness you had given them and in the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. So here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its goodness. And here we are as slaves. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of our sins, and they rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we make a binding agreement, putting it in writing and sealing it with the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. This is the word of our Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our only hope, in the midst of all our transgressions. If you have some suggestions about how to deal with the crisis we've heard about in the news between the United States and Iran, where do you go with those? Hmm? What are you going to do with that? Well, could you text or email this guy, huh? the President of the United States, or the Joint Chiefs of Staff who work with him? Even if you had their phone number, even if you had their email address, do you think they would pay attention to you or me? I mean, they are leaders of what is arguably the most economically and militarily dominant country in the world. So why should they pay any attention to or give any ear to tiny cogs such as you and me 
in this nation of 350 million people. Why? Who are we? Well, if that's the case between us and the leaders of our nation, then how much less can we expect the maker of this universe, the Lord our God, to ever pay any attention to you or to me? Let's consider some things about our God. He made our universe, right? Everything that is in it. And if we look at our universe, we look at our, our earth, first of all, it seems like a pretty big place to us, doesn't it? 22,000 miles all the way around it. But if you compare our earth to the sun, there's the earth in comparison to the sun. You could fit 1.3 million earths in our sun. That's how big the sun is. Okay? It's starting to feel kind of small. The distance from our sun to the earth is 93 million miles. It takes light eight minutes to travel 93 million miles. Now let's back out even further. Our solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy. Remember, it takes light eight minutes to travel 93 million miles. You know how long it would take light to travel from one end of our galaxy to the other? 100,000 years. We just got a little smaller, didn't we? And there are billions of galaxies like ours in the universe. Once again, we shrink in comparison. But this is what Solomon had to say about the Lord who made all of this. Even the highest heavens cannot contain him. He is infinite. He is beyond the expanse of our universe. So who are you, who am I, in comparison to our God? We're on a microscopic level, aren't we? And so if President Trump, if the Joint Chiefs of Staff aren't going to care about what we have to say, if they aren't interested in you or me, can we expect God to have any interest in you and me? Our lesson today is all about our relationship to God. And what's impressive to us and what this lesson will impress upon us is the fact that the Lord, our God, as vast as he is in comparison to you and me, still pays attention to us. Still wants a relationship with us. And we're going to get into that relationship that the Lord has with us and has established with us um, in our lesson today. We've been going through the series of sermons on the book of Nehemiah. The first six chapters of Nehemiah were about rebuilding the physical walls of Jerusalem. And they did that with God's power and God's grace in 52 days. But the rest of the book of Nehemiah is all about God reestablishing his relationship with the people of Israel. He was rebuilding them, reaching out to them. Last week we heard how the Lord's people spent six hours listening to his word. God was connecting to them. And when they heard the word of God, they began to weep and to mourn because they understood we haven't been living up to that. We've broken our relationship with God. But they were told, don't weep and mourn, this is a day of celebration. 
Well, our lesson now takes us to three weeks after that. And this was a time for weeping and mourning. They spent six hours that day listening, first of all, from morning till noon to the Word of God, then the next six hours in prayer. God connected to them through his word, and now they were responding in prayer. And there's four elements of prayer that I'm going to show you at this time. There are these, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Acts is an easy way to remember that. And in the lesson that is before us today, we will be learning about the first two of these. The Israelites, after they had heard the word of the Lord read to them, began their prayer to God with adoration. They said, Blessed are your glory, is your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You created the heavens, the highest heavens and all their host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all things, and the heavenly host worships you. So they were acknowledging the greatness of God, weren't they? He is the maker of all things. They acknowledged that compared to the Lord, they were small, they were specks, and that the Lord truly was, worship, was worthy of their worship and adoration. Even the angels, right, the heavenly hosts, who are vastly more powerful than you and I, worship God. God is worthy to be adored. He is worthy to be held in awe for his magnificence. But he's also worthy of being held in awe for something more. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham, who brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. This great and vast God pays attention to people, even little people. Abram was not a great king, just an average guy. Didn't even have any children. And yet out of all the nations of the earth, God chose this insignificant man to play a, to play a special role in his future for the earth, in his history. What that reminds us of is the fact that the Lord our God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. This great and mighty God cares about the weak and the insignificant. What does that mean for you? Do you ever feel small? Like you're just this lost face in the crowd? God knows you. You're not insignificant to him. He sees you. There's comfort in that at first, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you, um, that can be frightening too. He sees you. He sees me. He overlooks nothing. And so after listening to the word of God being read for six hours, the people of Israel realized that the Lord, their God, had expectations of them. He saw them. He was aware of them. And 
they began to compare themselves with him. He said, you found Abraham's heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites. To his descendants, you have kept your promise because you are righteous. So notice what he does. He calls God a man or a God who keeps his promises, a God who is righteous. And inevitably, we have to compare ourselves with God, don't we? You and I make commitments and we make promises, but do we always follow through? Ever let your spouse down, parents down, your kids down? Yeah. We say, but we don't do. That's what a God does. He speaks and he does, right? We don't match up. We don't compare with that. And we like to compare, right? Um, if you ever go into a room of people, what's the first thing you do? You start comparing yourself, don't you? How do you measure up? You start looking at who's, who's the best looking in the room, who seems to be uh, the most... Uh, congenial, who's the most athletic looking, who's the most popular. And we judge ourselves to be inferior or superior based on that. So as we compare ourselves to our God, we realize he's not just superior to us in his infinite nature, but he's superior to, superior to us in his character, isn't he? He is faithful. And what's the only thing we can say about ourselves? We are Unfaithful, And that is what the Israelites confessed about themselves after listening to God's word for six hours. You are just in all that has befallen us because you have acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. It was very clear to them that they had fallen short of the expectations of their God. The God who says, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be just like me. And if we deny that we are not like God, then we're doing just like the children who I spoke to before. We're holding our breath, right? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, well, it isn't in us. We're adding sin to sin, aren't we? We're lying. And so whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. Israel found that out firsthand. They denied their sin generation after generation. And finally the Lord said, after warning, after warning, enough. And he sent them away into captivity. They reaped the results of their spiritual holding of their breath. Temporally, and if they didn't change their hearts, eternally. God was saying, you're separating yourself from me and my love. It was his call to repentance. And so, brothers and sisters, the people of Israel did some exhaling. They said, Our kings and leaders and priests and fathers did not obey your law or listen to your commandments and warnings that you gave them. For even while they were in, your king, or in their kingdom, with the abundant goodness that you had given them and the spacious and fertile land you set before them, they would not serve you nor turn from their wicked ways. Now it might sound a little strange to you that they were confessing the sins of their fathers. Huh? 
are kings and leaders, right? Um, and they call them their own sins. Why would they do that? We like to compare, right? And one of the things that we often fail to do in our own lives as we compare our generation with the generations before us and after us is to see the similarities. When I was a child, my father, who was born in the 1920s, was part of the builder generation, right? And when I was seven years old, we were coming home from church, and I lived in a college town, Menominee, Wisconsin. UW-Stout was there. 1969, remember what's going on in our nation? And you had the baby boomers. And they had signs posted all over about a special parade that was going to be held that was going to challenge and protest what they saw as the flaws of the builder generation. Do you remember the phrase, don't trust anybody over 30? That's what the baby boomers were saying about the builders. They're hypocritical. They're untrustworthy. And so they had a parade that was going to be held under the theme, Out of Sight. And I can remember being in the car and my father remarking, and that's where those arrogant brats should keep it. Each generation was condemning the other, right? While overlooking their own arrogance, their own pride. The Israelites confessed the sins of their fathers as their own sins because there are no new sins. Just the same sins in different wrappers. Right? I'm part of Gen X. Generation X is the generation that was latchkey, remember? The kids basically had to fend for themselves, and so we're, you know, get it done on your own. You don't need to hold my hand, generation. And then we looked at the millennials, and now you're the ones getting harped on, right? As the entitled generation. And so my generation says to the millennials, well, we figured it out on our own. You figure it out on your own. That's pride in that package, right? Arrogance. We're better than you because we figured it out on our own. Then the millennials, yeah, hand it to us on a silver platter. We deserve it. Pride is inside of that, right? Just repackaged in a different way. And so all the sins of the previous generation we can claim as our own. Greed. Deceit, dishonesty, selfishness, we can all own that. Each generation follows in the sins of the previous. And so here we are today, the Israelites admitted, slaves in the land you gave our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its goodness. And here we are as slaves. And so each generation reaps the consequences of its own sin, doesn't it? It happens in your life. It happens in my life. Let's exhale it, right? Let's name our sin. Let's get it out there. Because when we breathe it out, something wonderful happens. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds what? Finds mercy. 
mercy from the God above whose character we've failed to measure up to. Mercy from a God above who says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Well, how can God do that? How can he cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Does God just say, well, sin doesn't matter, it doesn't count? Not any more than you would say it doesn't matter if somebody burns down your house and the judge says, shame on you and lets him go. You say, wait a minute, that's not accountability, that's not justice. And the Lord our God would agree. If someone burned down your house, you would at least want them to make restitution, right? Restore it. And then because you committed such an act, you should have to pay a price. Something needs to be exacted from you. The Roman cross was a form of accountability. It was an instrument of accountability. It was on such a cross that the Lord our God held the world accountable by holding his own dear son accountable in your place and mine. It was there that Jesus made restitution, didn't he? For all the lives that we've spoken, Jesus was honest throughout his life. For all the times that we were disrespectful, Jesus was perfectly respectful and honored those whom his father had put over him. For all the times that we were selfish, Jesus was generous. He made restitution. He gave, life the, he gave God the life that he wants from you and me. And then he suffered the consequence too. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was accountable. He was cut off. And it's in that way that the Lord has cleansed you and me from all our sin. Breathe that in. Breathe in the love and the mercy of God that has washed you and cleansed you and declared you holy and innocent in his sight. That's what the people of Israel were doing. They breathed in the fact that the Lord had made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant in which he promised that he was going to raise up for Abraham a special descendant through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God's restoration of Jerusalem was part of that plan, part of that covenant, part of that promise. The wall that they had built was a symbol of the fact that God was going to keep his word. He is faithful. He will cleanse us. And having breathed that in, they made a binding agreement and put it in writing, sealing it with the names of their leaders, the Levites and the priests. This was their response of adoration to God, not just for his greatness, but for his faithfulness and his love. And so likewise, for you and me who are gathered here today, let's breathe. Let's name our sins. Let's exhale them. Let's get them out. But then let's breathe in. Let's breathe in and soak up all the love and peace and forgiveness that we have from our God and then go out adoring him just as the people of Israel did, giving him thanks and praise and committing ourselves to serving the one whose loving eye and loving ears are always turned toward you and me. Amen.